This is the, the, youth, the, down youth, South the youth Down South, the youth down South podcast, a show for youth leaders and young adults. Well, hello, friends. I am joined here with my good friend and former professor, Dr. Brian Sims, who uh, is a professor of leadership, professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. He's also a coach and writer uh, and a leadership guru, someone who uh, I uh, was deeply shaped by when I was in his class. Um, and of the many classes I took in seminary, uh, the class I find myself talking about probably the most was the year-long uh, class. That, and it was, it was really sort of more than a class. It was a mentorship. Uh, and um, so I just have so much appreciation for this person that you get to hear today. And I'm so excited to have Dr. Sims on. Um, he's just written a book, which we'll be discussing today, called Leading Together, The Holy Possibility of Harmony and Synergy in the Face of Change. Uh, and friends, you need to buy this book. It is uh, an amazing book, something that's really the product of decades of not just study, but implementation of um, of leading teams, leading through change. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Sims has uh, invested quite a lot of time in is coaching churches, particularly churches that are struggling, churches that are in decline, that uh, are in need of something uh, to really, um, you know, ride the ship and to, and to uh, bring them back into um, being healthy churches. Dr. Sims has for decades gone into that sort of situation uh, and together with the Holy Spirit uh, coached these churches back into back to life. Uh, so, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about um, being part of the church today in 2022 and facing the challenges that uh, we all know we face, I can't think of uh, a book that's, I think, more important than this book. It's just uh, a, a gift to the church. And I'm, I'm, I thank you, Dr. Sims, for writing it, but also thank the Lord for um, birthing it through you. Uh, and so it's a, it's a great privilege and honor to have you on the Youth Down South podcast. Well, it's good to be here and really appreciate it, Caleb, and excited about the work you all are doing and just honored to have the opportunity to interact with you today. So. Well, I should also say uh, that uh, Dr. Sims is married to his wife, Melinda, who uh, with um, him has four children, uh, and I've been to their home, and they've been gracious enough to have me and a few students over, and uh, I hope all is well with her and your kids. And Everybody's uh, doing great. I grew up with in a family of uh, four kids, so I know there's always something going on. It's just like constant motion, you know, yep. um, and things getting broken and all sorts of stuff, you know. I think that's important to highlight as well. Um, so, Dr. Sims, you know, I've given just a little bit of bio for you already, but I wonder if you could just tell your story up to the writing of this book. You know, what what is it about your background that the Lord used to then lead you to do this crazy thing of writing a book and to, you know, this incredible undertaking of producing something that you think other people are going to want to read, right? <laughs> well, it has been quite a journey and it remains to be seen how many will want to read it, but it's been, a, <laughs> uh, it's certainly been a, 
journey of obedience for me, but it's it's uh, it, it's representative of lots and lots of years of transformation the Lord was doing in me, but also opportunities to uh, to create spaces where that kind of transformation can happen in others. And uh, so it's been fun. I, I grew up in an interesting home where my dad was an athletic coach. He's primarily basketball coach. And uh, my mom is a musician um, and a music teacher. And so I grew up as both a musician and an athlete um, and was around team environment things all the time and loved it, both with sports. Uh, and I, you know, I enjoyed the the competition and everything else, but it was the relationships and being on team and being a part of something together uh, that was bigger than me that I really appreciated about that. But then in, in music ensembles of, of a variety of sorts, jazz bands, uh, show choirs, uh, the uh, worship team at church uh, where I played the bass guitar, these were uh, life-changing experiences for me. And then I ended up on staff in a church as a young adult and everything's happening in silos. Uh, and the senior pastor's doing stuff and the youth pastor's doing stuff. And I happen to be the, the worship pastor and I'm doing stuff. And yeah, we had meetings together, but it was mostly to plan stuff. But there wasn't really synergy and collaboration. It was kind of everybody does their own thing. Everybody has their own silo they're in charge of. And we're just making sure we all get our own jobs done kind of thing. And uh, we we were trying to reach people. The new church plant, actually, that I was involved in, is one of my first uh, jobs in the in, in vocational ministry. And the church plant ended up failing, um, and we closed the doors. And one of the big reasons was because people were coming to Christ, but they weren't. There was no environment for them to really be discipled and then developed into leaders and being given opportunity to actually serve more than just handing out bulletins or, you know, but to actually be a part of the mission in some sort of way. And so people were leaving out the back door as fast as they were coming in the front. And uh, it was it was frustrating. And as a young adult myself, I didn't know how to make heads or tails of it. I just knew something didn't feel right. And then I'm comparing that to all of these other leadership experiences where things are happening in team going, is this really the best way for this to happen? Well, then I end up um, in seminary. I end up um, myself getting to be a part of the early stages of development of this organization called SLI that I work with full time now, Spiritual Leadership Inc. Um, and I mean, we our our role is actually coaching churches and networks, denominational groups, or whatever, coaching people through change process. But our primary thing we're doing is trying to create the environments that foster that kind of change. What would it look like for us to be the kind of people that God has called us to be that we might lead others? guide others toward change um, in ways that look more like the kingdom of God. And so um, those are, you know, some of my experiences that led up to to all of this. And uh, but then over the last 22 years now, uh, as a coach with SLI and as a seminary professor, being able to, to interact with people about the real around the real challenges that people face in leadership and um, the paradigm that most of us uh, have is that when the challenges happen, uh, everybody looks to the leader to, to fix it, to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And if we're in uh, if we're in kind of an equilibrium state, in other words, everything's kind of status quo. Everything is pretty, uh, you know, not topsy turvy and not not challenging in that kind of way. Then we really can look to experts to to give us answers for certain things. But when we start facing challenges that that are uh, that are bigger than that, that are more complex than that, 
there are no there are no experts. Like for instance, how do you lead through a pandemic? Nobody had ever done this before. And it starts to resemble for me what what happened in the book of Acts, where they literally didn't have a script. They had relationship with Jesus. They had the spirit alive in them. They had this beautiful community of faith they're they're a part of, but they've got no strategic plan they're following. They're they're actually having to discern with every new challenge how to lead. And the way they did it was together. It wasn't a look to some senior authority to solve all the problems. You know, they may have turned, they they may have intended that like, hey, Peter, solve this for us. Or, hey, Paul, solve this for us. Hey, John, solve this for us. But it's not the way the apostles responded to the challenges. They instead invited others into leadership with them and they discerned. And and Acts 15 is one of the most beautiful kind of synopsis of this at the Council of Jerusalem, where they come together and they, by the end, they they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Mm. And that us, is so radically different than what people are used to. And so I bring, I, you know, that's that's some of the experience that kind of led up to writing this and walking with churches through those kind of challenges, but also that paradigm shift of, hey, boss, tell us what to do, to we're going to have to figure this out together. And it changes the role that we have as, as positional leaders. If we have a role like pastor or CEO or boss or manager or anything else, parent, for that matter, that all of a sudden we've got to say, I don't know. We have to have the humility to say, I don't know. I don't have the answers to this. But we also have to have the faith to know that God can get us through anything. God is not surprised or overwhelmed by any of the challenges that we're facing. We may be, but God is not. And uh, so that's that's a lot of what prompted all of this. And uh, But then the experience of walking with people for decades now, in a variety of different church environments through change, in a variety of different denominations and everything else to say, what does it look like for us to actually learn how to discern, to grow and to trust one another and to actually do this? One of the metaphors and um, that I, the primary metaphor that I use throughout this book is uh, jazz music. And uh, and that's part of, it's one of the things that I love, but it's, it's for me a, a beautiful example of this kind of thing because it's not merely uh, like you would have in a sports team or other kind of musical ensemble where, oh, yeah, well, we got to trust and we got to, you know, everybody's got to kind of know the rules and everything else. But in jazz music, you're improving, you're having to actually change. And there's constant learning and adaptation happening. And frankly, failure pretty regularly <laughs> on the way to success. And But it happens in the context of deep trusting relationships, of understanding Uh, In this case, like we all know the musical patterns so well that we don't even have to think about that, but we're going to have to adapt even what we know, but we trust one another well enough to do so. Everybody's got different gifts. Everybody has different uh, experiences and expertise, and we're going to lean on each other in the right moments. Um, And so that even how do we get to something uh, that could be adaptive or improvisational? And we need that in the church today. We're having to, the gospel is still the same. But we're having to discern new ways to live and to lead so that people experience the gospel because the world has changed so dramatically. And, uh, you know, same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is still in us. So we we don't have anything to worry about. God can do this. And yet um, it's not going to be just one hero saving the day. We're going to have to learn how to discern together. And it becomes more more like playing jazz together. 
than it is reading off of some strategic plan. Yeah. And so you really beautifully already described uh, what you call in the book, this concept of shared leadership. And the whole first part of the book is devoted to uh, just beginning to develop this idea of shared leadership. And uh, you have a, a PhD in leadership from Regent University. Um, but one of the things I love about you is that you take that leadership expertise that you have, having been put it into practice, but also studied it at such a high level, uh, such an in-depth level. Um, but you marry that with your profound um, belief in the Bible, uh, this this profound uh, affection you have for the Bible and your own acknowledgement of the authority of the Bible in your life. Uh, and so in talking about shared leadership, can you draw out some of the biblical foundations you um, point to as you uh, describe what shared leadership is, uh, particularly this whole notion of kenosis? You use this sure. biblical word that may be new to some people of kenosis, uh, which uh, when I hear, I think primarily of like Philippians 2, uh, which you, you, you also um, describe in the book. So yeah, could you... Uh, kind of throwing out a, a big question here, but describe for us um, maybe a little bit more about sheer leadership, uh, the scriptural foundations you have for it, and what is this thing of kenosis? Yeah. So, I mean, where I always love to start as it relates to shared leadership is, um, you know, is this a biblical model? Um, and for me, uh, I mean, we have to start with God. And as hard as it is to explain and describe, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm. We were created by community for community. Mm. And it's the way God leads. And notice even, and this is, you know, once I'm not going to get into a lot of detail. I don't understand it myself. Like, this is so mind-blowing. But to think about every, the Father constantly points to the Son and the Spirit. The Son mm -hmm. constantly points to the Spirit and the Father. The Spirit constantly points to the Son and the Father. There is the, it's a community of love, of hospitality, of making room, not only for one another, but for other, <laughs> uh, making room for us. This is the way God has done this. Um, there is perfect love. There is unity, but unity not only of relationship, but unity of purpose, that it's both and, that it's both sides of that coin. Um, all the way through. And then for Jesus in John 17, for instance, to pray, Father, the glory you've given me, I've given them that they may be one, even as we are one. And it's this picture of uh, what Jesus seems to intend for us. And by the way, side note, I, I wonder, because I know I'm selfish and broken, and I wonder sometimes whether God's going to answer my prayers. He always answers, but well, a lot of them are probably going to be, Brian, that's not what's best for you. It's not what's best for the world. But I never wonder whether the Father is going to answer Jesus' prayers. I mean, come on. And Jesus prayed that we would be one. Of all the things he could pray for, mm -hmm. that we would have the same kind of unity of purpose and unity of relationship with one another that God has within the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And that, once again, this blows my mind. But... If this is, that's what shared leadership looks like, that we're in this together. God has modeled this for us. And then throughout scripture, we see all these other examples of 
like Moses and Jethro. You remember in Exodus 18, Moses is leading everything and his father-in-law comes to him and basically says, this is not smart. This is not a good idea. It's going to burn you out. It's going to burn out the people. This is not what's best for the community. It's not what's best for you. Why don't you begin to share leadership? And that's exactly what Moses does. And all of a sudden, everything changes Mm -hmm. and they're a healthier community, but he's a healthier leader because he's got leaders of you know, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens around it. Um, we get to, I mean, there's a bunch of other Old Testament reference around this kind of thing as well, but this is clearly the way Jesus leads in, in, in his ministry, that he is leading everything, but he's sharing leadership with others and giving them opportunity, not only to learn from him, but then over time to be able to take what they're learning and use it with him still there. And then eventually to, you know, anoint them and say, hey, go and make disciples. I want you to do the same things I've been doing. And by the way, I'm with you. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm not just sending you out to the wolves. I am with you. Um, And but that Jesus does it with with his own disciples. And then he invites them to do the same. So then the book of Acts, we see countless examples of this shared leadership thing showing up. Where with the early apostles in Acts chapter six, they then share leadership with this set of what what we call deacons, servants, uh, Philip and Stephen and the rest that are raised up in Acts chapter six. And we have multicultural leadership, shared leadership happening at this point. Mm-hmm. And once again, then we see all kinds of other evidence of this throughout the, the remainder of the New Testament. Um, and so these are all examples of this. As I, and this is part of how I frame this in the Leading Together book, but as I think about how do you get to that kind of shared leadership, if this is the way God leads, and if this is what we see throughout the scripture, we see the solo heroic leadership paradigm actually criticized in the scripture, um, in sections like Moses there in Exodus 18, we see that the New Testament church seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not just what did some leader want us to do, but they discern together, then how do we do that? How do we get at that? And for me, um, this notion of kenosis in Philippians chapter two, Paul is describing Jesus. And uh, and frankly, and this is a little side note, but we don't know if Paul wrote the kenosis hymn in Philippians chapter two, or if it was, it, it, if it was part of the church liturgy already like part of the church tradition that they were sharing with each other. And, uh, but it, it, it's referred to a hymn. I mean, this could very well be like song kind of hymn that the early church had that um, Philippians two is Paul is referencing there when he says, You're, you have the same mind that we see in Christ Jesus, the same attitude. And then he goes on. This is this hymn that we would, that though God being in very, na- that Jesus being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited like used for his own advantage, but instead he emptied himself. That's the word kenosis in the Greek. He emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant. And being found in human appearance, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God has exalted him to the highest place. And so we, I mean, we see this pattern and Paul is saying, hey, this was true of Jesus. It actually should be true of us too. Mm. It's a tall order (laughs) to think about being like Christ in this way. And yet it's precisely what we see the leaders in the book of Acts modeling, that they're actually emptying themselves of their own agenda and willing to say, we know what we're called to, but we also know what we don't know. And we don't know what to do in this situation. The Spirit's going to have to give us wisdom and discernment, but we also have to raise up others around us who have wisdom and discernment. And so even Acts 6, they, they actually say to the people with the complaint, 
Choose amongst yourselves those who are full of the spirit, hear that, and wisdom. And new leaders are raised up and they discern together how to affect, how to overcome that challenge. The same thing happens in Acts chapter 15. All of this shared discernment, shared leadership, but kenosis, this emptying of self, of our own agenda, of that which we could manipulate or exploit, it becomes one of the keys to being Christ-like, but also one of the keys to effective shared leadership. Mm. That if we are, if we don't have that kind of humility, if we think the world revolves around, if I think the world revolves around me, and I'm not coming to this saying, nope, this is about what God is up to. And frankly, when I don't know, I need to be able to say, I don't know. Let's let's discern this together. To have the humility to do so, that kenosis, that emptying of self is really critical. And that is is actually impossible for us if we are not living deeply with Jesus ourselves. And mm. so that then gets to, and theologians have used this language. This is, this is not mine, but the theologians have used this language for thousands of years now. But union, abiding in Christ, union with Christ mm. precedes kenosis. In other words, we have to be walking with Jesus ourselves if we're going to be able to be a servant with others in a way wow. that really looks like Jesus. And so for me, it's actually, it's a, uh, in some ways, it's prerequisite for Christ-like leadership, just period. But it's a prerequisite for shared leadership that we have to have union with Christ and uh, and we have to have the humility to mm-hmm. empty ourselves and say, this is not about me. This is about what God is up to. It's about God's call and the mission that God has called us on, the mission that Jesus is on already in the world that we get to participate in. And, uh, but it's, it's, um, that's when this becomes fun. And it's, you know, as a side note, this is part of what I find so, uh, joyous about this is that when people begin to, if they have these kind of trusting relationships and the world is no longer about me, but we are on mission together and there is trust, there's also joy. And we were, because we were made for community, this is part of what I find so fascinating Turn on the television at the end of any sports season. It doesn't matter what sport. It doesn't matter whether it's men or women. Uh, I get tickled when it's men because they jump up and down and cry like babies. <laughs> and, but then they don't usually talk about the game or the winning. They talk about each other. They reference the the we that we got to do this together. I love you, man. I mean, the number of times you hear somebody, you know. And normally grown men wouldn't act like that, especially on national TV. But they do because they're overwhelmed with joy. And that joy is not it's it's actually way beyond winning or even performing well. And that kind of stuff's fun, too. But it's about being in something together where those relationships are key. But it's not just friendship. It's friendship in the context of we're on mission together. We're accomplishing something together. God has called us to something together. So that may be a longer answer than you were hoping for there, but no. that's that's biblical foundation for me of, of what it looks like to even grow to be Christ-like, uh, but also, uh, and to be accountable to that ourselves, but then in that, to have the humility in that uh, ab- abiding in union with Christ, to have the humility, the emptying of self, the kenosis, to say, this is bigger than me. I'm not going to make this about me. No, I I was enthralled with everything you were saying, and I think... Uh, one of the things I was thinking about as you're talking is how uh, you're right that you are pointing to Christ likeness, but you're taking 
uh, things that many of us would definitely agree with you on and and know to be fundamental to being disciples, but you're breaking through this wall that's sometimes built around leadership. You know, it's like we will bracket out leadership from these fundamental features of our faith and, you know, go to the latest and greatest trend in in leadership science or whatever it might be and uh, try to imbibe that rather than going back to uh, the gospel and to these just again fundamental features of our faith of holiness and humility and perfect love and an emptying of ourselves um and uh and drawing from that to then also look to the word for how we should lead together as you're right. saying and one of the things that in in trying to um, implement this something that I think, has been impressed upon me in terms of this particular area of shared leadership is it's important for us as leaders to be having a real relationship with the Lord, but also to be in, inviting others into that same real relationship with yeah. the Lord as well. You know, that we can sometimes I think face the temptation to move past that, past the, are you saved? <laughs> you know, are you yeah. like, are you, uh, fill with God's holy love, like, and, and try to, you know, to just because we, you know, we have who we have around us, like just move into whatever the task is. Uh, right. But if we're not grounded in that uh, formational aspect of leading and of uh, having accountability in that, then you, there's no real, pro- you, you can't make any progress. There's no uh, success to be had. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very true. Well, and it's one of the things, and I write about this in this in, in the Leading Together book. And this is this is uh, common language in our coaching uh, network that we have. Um, but we we often talk about three different types of accountability, and what people want is to see missional fruitfulness. Mm. And, and frankly, typically, if they invite, they ask for coaching. That's one of the things they want. This is what we want from every leader we hire, every uh, ministry we start. We want to see fruitfulness. But to get uh, and and so we have to have missional accountability if we're going to get missional fruitfulness. But we got to have the the spiritual accountability, that mm. formational stuff that you're talking about, and the relational accountability, covenantal kind of relationships with each other. If we're ever going to get the missional fruitfulness that we want to see, and so we talk about these three different types of accountability. Once again, trying to create the space where we are being formed in Christ together that formational or spiritual accountability, we're in deep relationship with one another, first and foremost as disciples of Jesus, not as leaders. That comes that comes from that environment, but that that's a relational accountability, covenantal kind of accountability. But then we have missional accountability around what has God called us to? We have to take this seriously. And we know that only God can accomplish this. God is not sending us out for him. God is going out and we're going with him. And that's such a different perspective. We are on mission with God. (laughs) And God doesn't need us, not in that way. And yet God has called us to be a part of this mission. And yet, if we're not, if we're not disciples ourselves and we're not embodying that, it's kind of hard to make disciples very effectively. And so one of the questions I love to ask emerging leaders, uh, young adults, um, is at what point do we graduate? from being a disciple to being a spiritual leader. 
And of course, it's a trick question. We don't. And in fact, at which point you think you did, like we're no longer really living as a disciple, but we're we're just leading people. You're you're no longer a spiritual leader. Um, and that that's unfortunate because we see a lot of that in the church today where people mm-hmm. who've been doing this a long time are just doing it. And, yeah. you know, uh, serving God is replaced knowing God in that kind of way. And rather than a relationship of love where we're abiding and we care for one another and we're first and foremost disciples of Jesus together, um, you know, people are into titles and and uh, every, everything's about what I've accomplished. And and that that's the stuff we have to empty ourselves of. And uh, so it's uh, it's really critical. And I think I mean, there's a lot we can learn and there's a lot we can embody and implement as it relates to shared leadership built on the right foundations. But if we if we don't have those right foundations, then, you know, it is it, it's not going to get us where God has called us to be. So absolutely. Um, through the rest of the book, after you've kind of moved through that uh, explanation of shared leadership and um, these you know, Christian foundations for shared leadership. You then provide a framework for leading together uh, in your the the second part of the book, um, and uh, yeah, just kind of developing um, this kind of lens through which uh, leaders can view leading together and actually put it into practice. And then part three gets even more practical from there, and just having these um, principles and practices for. Um, shared spiritual leadership. There's so much in this book that we don't have space here to, of course, unpack it all. And so that's my, uh, you know, sales pitch there to everyone listening to go and buy this book because you will not regret it at all. But um, this particular podcast is geared to youth leaders, but also young adults. And you mentioned a minute ago um, that, you know, when you're with emergent leaders or young leaders, that's, that's a question you like to ask. I wonder what else you might want to impress upon the, particularly the young leaders, the emergent leaders who are listening to this right now. You've had so much experience now um, shaping and forming and molding seminarians, who are primarily, not all, but primarily emergent leaders, young people, uh, you know, in this seminal time of, of their lives. Um, so given your experience and doing that ministry, what are some keys that you might offer right now uh, to those listening? Well, I, a couple of things come to my mind immediately. And the first of those is uh, I like to refer to this as leading as a means of grace. Uh, and there's a, a whole chapter uh, devoted to this in that second section. But um, we take ourselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, so if if I only have that your, your identity as, as a follower of Jesus, as a child of God, um, and your calling, whatever that may be, into particular kinds of things, is all wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus. And um, that the leading that we do, if it if if it's not leading like in and through that, in other words, guided by and in step with the Spirit, filled with, guided by, in step with, uh, wisdom from the Spirit of God, Christ in us, then what are we doing? And mm-hmm. I think that it's one of the things that I, and honestly, I was, I mean, I was coaching a pastor who's nearing retirement yesterday, who was talking about almost 40 years of ministry and losing sight of what he called elementary things. 
And what I would say more is the main thing, simple. And he's being called back to what does it look like for me to first and foremost be a follower of Jesus? And to trust that any leading that I do with people, if it's actually going to be fruitful, then and I'm going to bear the fruit of the spirit. (laughs) This is God's work in and through us, not my work for God. And I, I would that's the main thing that I would want to, to come across. Um, I interact with lots of leaders who they can eat any even emerging leaders that could teach this to somebody else. Like your identity is all wrapped up in the fact that you're a child of God and a person of worth. They could teach that, but they don't live it. They look in the mirror and see not enough. I got to work. You know, I don't I'm not having to work out my salvation. Uh, in other words, I'm not having to earn my salvation. They may actually have that theologically, but they actually are living as if they're earning God's approval constantly mm. instead of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are in Christ. And that my primary identity is, is rooted in Christ. We are the righteousness of God, Paul says. And so that that in and of itself and then leading out of that posture uh, would be the the number one thing I would say. And so it's a um, you know, in, in one way, it's a it, it's a you are modeling what Christ likeness looks like. If you're a Jesus follower, you're modeling what Christ likeness looks like, even when you don't mean to. And people are going to follow you. And the mm. question is, are they going to follow you because you're following Jesus or are they just following you? And mm. that's dangerous. And I don't want people following me if I'm not following Jesus. Um, the 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 next thing that I would say is. We underestimate the power that we have in shaping the environments that people are in. And the language that that I use, that I have borrowed from SLI that we've been using for decades now, is that one of the key roles that leaders have is creating an environment for transformation. Only God transforms people. But think about the environments in which lives are changed. And so I know even working with youth leaders. To think about like church camp, it's amazing to me that people can even go to church camp with their arms folded like, nope, God's not going to do anything in my heart this week. (laughs) And God still does. Why? There's nothing magical (laughs) about church camp. But the people who put on church camps and do it well, they're very intentional about the environment they create. They're very intentional about Every environment people are in, whether it's their cabins or their small groups or their worship services or the lunchroom or the rec stuff or the everything is designed to, to create the kind of environment that fosters people being open to what the spirit is doing in their lives in ways that maybe they've never been before. And it is amazing. God doesn't need us to create those environments for God to do the work that he does in people's lives. And yet when we're intentional about the environments we create transformation happens. And once again, we don't get any credit for it. It's God's work. And yet it's one of the key roles that we have as leaders. And so as an emerging leader, whether it's, you know, with friends or it's in a group you're leading, or if you're, you know, a new, new parent and you're, you know, you're building a family, the environment that you lead is, is so critically important. And uh, and so and then the final piece, and these are the three core principles that come that, that I get into in the final piece of the book It's around becoming spiritual leaders. It's about creating environments that foster transformation. And how do we do that? But then finally, 
rather than having a kind of program mindset of we're going to do, we're going to run this, this, and this program and hope people are, people's lives are changed to have more of a process mindset of what are, what are we, what are we hoping for? What is God calling us to? Where are we now? How do we help people take a step toward that with everything we do? Everything helps people take a next step toward growing in faith, toward becoming leaders, toward learning how to share faith, toward whatever it is those goals are for you, that picture of the future. Can we have a process kind of mentality of if that's what we're after, where are we now? And how do we, we can't get everywhere all at once, but could we help people take just one next step and then another next step and another next step? And could we help them do that that together as a community? Um, And once again, this is not rocket science, but it's just not the way people are used to thinking about leadership. It's all about the tools and tactics and all this. And there are a lot of great things like that we can learn, but leadership happens. Um, transformational leadership happens in the right kind of environments led by the right kind of people, Christ-like people that, that are helping people continue to move forward toward what God has called them to. And so hopefully that in a, a nutshell answers some of that question, Caleb. Absolutely. Thank you so much. There's so much that we could continue to talk about, um, but uh, we are running out of time. You highlighted earlier your uh, the, the way you weave through um, jazz as a kind of motif throughout this whole book. And I am not nearly as accomplished a jazz musician as you are. Uh, in the Southeast Army, uh, most people end up learning how to play a brass instrument. And uh, I played euphonium, but then there was jazz band in high school, and there wasn't really like the ability for me to play euphonium in, in jazz band, but I picked up a valve trombone. I, so- I improv a solo once at a, a high school event and it, it I, that was the last time I did that um, uh, for obvious reasons. So that said, I still so much appreciated the, the way that you so um, creatively conveyed the material through the use of uh, jazz as a metaphor. And it made me think of uh, this movie I've seen uh, a few years ago called Keep On Keeping On, where this jazz legend, Clark Terry, mentors uh, uh, this piano prodigy, really, Justin Coughlin, who uh, is an up-and-coming jazz pianist, and um, both of them happen to be blind, and yet they are these incredible musicians who have this beautiful relationship. Uh, and the movie conveys so powerfully how, through relationship, you can have this impact on someone uh, as a mentor, you know, and and um, even in. Uh, these very unique circumstances, um, relationship is this vehicle for formation and for love and development. And um, as I was reading through the book, thinking about that movie and thinking that, you know, um, while it's not necessarily um, the same as being in one of your classes, I think through this book, you're able to be kind of like a Clark Terry for many people, uh, for all the people who are going to read this book. And I hope that includes uh, everyone listening uh, to this podcast. So, Dr. Sims, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, the time you've been able to provide today for your passion um, for ministry. I think the last thing I'd ask you to to share is just something about your passion for the church. I know that for you, uh, your life first comes from revelation and 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 maybe just share a little bit about what it is at the end of the day that really, motivates you to do what you do. 
Well, so Revelation 19, 7 says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride, the church, has made herself ready. And uh, this has been a motivation for me and a curiosity, frankly, as well. Like, what does it look like for us to be, uh, we are the bride of Christ, but what does it look like for us to be made ready? What does it look like for us to be holy and fruitful in the world? And I know a lot of what we see when we look at the local church and even denominational groups and everything else across the spectrum of of the, the world right now, there's a lot of decline and frankly, you know, a lot of frustration with with all of this. And yet, we know the end of the story. Mm-hmm. We know that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And um, what does it look like in our generation to be the kind of church that looks like a holy, ready bride mm-hmm. that is faithful, but also fruitful? And there are places around the world that is true. There are a lot of places where it's not, but it's not only possible. I mean, this is this is where we're headed. How are we going to get there? I don't know. But all I know is that in my day, what I have any responsibility for, I want to I want to be faithful to this call. And it's a hopeful thing for me because there's a lot of discouraging, uh, not hopeless, but a lot of discouraging kind of stuff happening in the world. And a lot of places, there are a lot of challenges that the church and the world are facing right now that we don't have a clue what to do about. And it would be easy to kind of wring our hands or just to kind of put our heads in the sand and just do our own thing, sing our songs and, you know, do our programs and whatnot in the church. But there's something bigger happening here. And God is able. And so this is, you know, that that one I shared is kind of a theme verse for me, but uh, for SLI, our coaching network is Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory and honor and praise in the church, both now and forever in Christ Jesus. And so that God is able to do more than we can imagine and to get people to imagine something and then to begin to embody something different knowing that only God can bring the transformation we want to see, but we want to participate with it. We're not just wringing our hands. We're also not just standing on the sideline. We've been mm-hmm. invited to, to be a part of this. And uh, and so that is a is a message of hope that I have to hear regularly myself, but that I continue to sing uh, with, with people everywhere I can, that God is able and God is doing this. And the question is, are we going to participate or not? And so um, that's that's our call. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've been in a room before where you've shared that passion and uh, was inspired then and as just as inspired now listening you describe uh, your passion for the church for uh, preparing the bride and for, uh, like you said, the all that God is able to do if we are just willing uh, to join him in what he's already doing. Uh, So thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Sims, for you're welcome. uh, giving us this interview uh, and for writing this book again, just for, I don't know how, I don't know how many times I've encouraged people to buy the book by this point, but I can't uh, do that enough. Please. If you're at all interested in discipleship, leadership, leading as a team, whatever it might be, uh, this book is well worth the read. Dr. Sims, again, thank you so much. Um, Good to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you. 
That's it for this episode of the Youth Down South podcast. For more info about the show, check out youthdownsouth.org.